am delighted that you have found the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. I'm Angela Cox, your host and indeed the Mindset Mentor, and I'll be interviewing executives and founders at the top of their game to find out what lies beneath. I want to know what makes people proud, how they define success, what holds them back and indeed what drives them forward. This is authentic and natural conversation with the best in the business. So listen in, enjoy and if you love what you hear, please do leave a review. And now over to today's guest. Hello and welcome to the first podcast of 2022. Happy New Year to you and thank you for joining me for this special episode. I am breaking the rules as usual. We're not doing the usual Mindset Mentor Meets format and instead this is a special episode that is dedicated to helping us understand how to stay strong when everything feels like it's against you. I'm sure that many of us have experienced moments when needing to stay strong is a thing. And usually in those moments, staying strong is the last thing that you want to do, but you don't have a choice in the matter. That was my reality for much of 2021. And that wasn't driven by the pandemic. It was driven by a personal situation that occurred in my family. Many of you know, my husband had a brain injury in the second half of the year, which completely turned everything on its head for us and created really the most stressful four or five months of my entire life. And that thing, that phrase, stay strong, became something that I heard from so many people in so many text exchanges, emails, you know, people I would bump into would hear about what was going on and and they would use this phrase to me, stay strong. And I got so sick of hearing it because I was in a position where I didn't want to be strong. I wanted it all to just go away and go back to normal and actually felt at times like my weakest. But as we know, when we're at our weakest, we're actually at our strongest. We're very much kind of pushing against the comfort zone. And as a result of that, I feel like I've built real resilience that will stand me instead for the rest of my life. But while I was in it, it was horrible. It's only been reflecting on it that has got me to a place where I've been able to piece together the things that I did to help me stay strong. And I want to share those with you as we go into this new year and hope that there is something in there that you'll be able to take away. Now you're listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast and we are an award-winning podcast. So we were recently voted at number six in the top 20 most inspirational podcasts. And for me, that is a real testament to the wonderful guests that come on the podcast and talk about their proudest moments and their pom-pom moments and really give us an insight into the person behind the leader, the person 
behind the entrepreneur, the human and the heart of the individuals who are able to come on and share their learnings. And I absolutely love doing this, but I also like to be able to do these one-off episodes where we talk about specific subjects. For those listeners who aren't aware of what's happened to my husband, he and I actually did a podcast together at the back end of last year. So you might want to listen to that one. And essentially, I found myself in a position where I was receiving a phone call. And it's one of those phone calls that you never want to receive where you're told at midnight that earlier that day, your husband had had something happen to him. There wasn't very much detail at that point, but as a result of that, had needed a brain scan. And I'd got that information at midnight. I was fast asleep on a Saturday night and kind of gleaned that this had happened at sort of seven o'clock in the evening. And then it was a good three, four hours before information started to flow through. And in those three, four hours, I think I went mad, oh, maybe seven times over, just sitting there with my son, 250 miles away from the hospital that my husband was in. 250 miles away from my daughter who was at her grandparents and just me and my boy who very much became a man that night in terms of taking that position of guider, protector. And we sat together and waited for the phone to ring. I say waited. I think I rang maybe 10 times in those four hours waiting for the update to say what was actually going on. And when I finally got the update, It was around brain injury, brain bleeding, fractured skull, not sure what's happened, not sure what the prognosis is, but it's not great. And so, you know, the weak moments during this sort of stay strong journey starts there. You know, it starts with this kind of message that you dread hearing your whole life. And suddenly you're in it and you don't want to be in it. You want to run away from it because it feels so hard. But I think when I reflect on how did I lean into that and actually start to deal with it, the first one was this reminder to myself that I can do it. You know, I know that I have faced into lots of hard times in my 44 years. And I really, in that moment, said to myself, I can do this. Whatever this thing throws at me, I know that I can manage it. And I know that I need to manage it for the sake of Finney and for Coral. And so I am going to be strong, not necessarily stay strong, but I am going to come from that foundation of being strong. And whenever the doubt creeps in, I'm going to remind myself that I'm okay and that I've got this. And that became a theme all the way through this five-month journey because that ability to recognize my strength, my knowing, and my inner belief was so critical because, my God, did I face some mountains during this journey, not only with the hospital and the medical profession, because from the day dot, Martin was put on the wrong pathway, which just became a nightmare to juggle. 
but also with all the other elements that sat around it, you know, from not being able to access bank accounts because he couldn't remember his details, not being able to, you know, have his car retrieved because it wasn't in my name. All of the kind of the admin stuff that comes when a couple keep everything separate for no other reason that we just didn't get around to it. (laughs) And it's just additional stressors, additional things that you never consider that you're ever going to need to deal with. And on top of all of the emotional stress of your loved one being in such a challenging position, these things can send, certainly me, over the edge. And so at that point, I would come back to reminding myself, I can do it. I can do anything. And that became a really big anchor point. And I would suggest to you, if you're in a position where staying strong is a necessity, start there. Start with that really strong reminder to yourself that you've got this. And no matter what gets thrown at you, you can get through it. So I guess that was the first step for me, sitting in my bed in the middle of the night, knowing he was poorly, knowing he was miles away, but knowing that come what may, I would deal with it. And that really put me into this position of, I wouldn't say power, but then I would say power. And I remember getting in the car the next day at sort of, you know, six o'clock in the morning, having had no sleep, but being determined I was going to get to Wales and I was going to get to that A&E ward and I was going to see him and find out what was happening. And this kind of uber determination came from that place of belief. They told me on the phone I wouldn't be able to come on the ward. And in my mind, that was never going to be an option. So it kind of brought this backbone in this face of fear and adversity and everything else that was going on, this backbone of, I'm going to do it. And it was a decision that I made to make that happen. But what I also know is despite that, and despite feeling this backbone, there were moments of absolute fear And, you know, being able to let my brain take hold of the uncertainty that we were in and let it run away with catastrophizing, let it run away with worst case scenario planning. And, you know, all of the things that as humans, when we're faced with uncertainty, is really easy to happen. And so what I realized that I did, and I've got to say this wasn't a conscious decision, but it is one that I would recommend be a conscious decision is actually to dilute that catastrophizing, I would get right in the moment that I was in. Now, I actually recognize this now as a coping mechanism, as opposed to a conscious awareness thing. But being in the moment and being mindful, we know actually shuts off our brain's ability to be able to take us down those roads that are unhelpful and keep us grounded in the here and now. Now, the way that I recognized I did this, and it was something that my daughter pointed out to me several weeks later, when we were traveling in the car and she said to me, mommy, have you noticed that you're not repeating everything that the sat-nav says anymore? 
And I suddenly realized that for the entire time that we'd been in the acute stage of this drama, which had gone on for several weeks from an acute perspective, whenever I got in the car, I would literally repeat every single word that the satnav said. And that was my way of being present in that moment, keeping us safe when we were driving around and stopping my brain from going off into the, oh my God, what if he dies tomorrow? Oh my God, you know, what if he can't walk? Oh my God, what if he's never going to remember who we are? So I would be very much in the moment, but in that kind of active, practical way of turn right at the end of the road. On this roundabout, take the second exit. And I would literally keep myself here and now by doing that. And that really helped me to stop that going off into worse, bigger, more horrible than it needed to be. Now, the fact is, there were many aspects of this situation that were dire. You know, the fact is, Martin at points didn't know who we were. Martin at points didn't know who he was. So it wasn't easy, but letting my brain run away with that's what we're going to be like when we're 90 wasn't helpful for me in that moment and could actually put me straight into freeze or fight or flight. And so being in that moment and forcing myself to kind of come into it allowed me to keep that at bay as much as possible. So if you're in a position where you need to stay strong, then finding a way to be mindful, finding a way to just come into the moment now and focus on what you know to be true is a really good way of switching off that brain's ability to, you know, make one and one equal 10, which it will do if you're not careful. So that was a big one. And I'm quite happy to say that these days I don't copy everything that the satnav says and still struggle with mindfulness because, you know, it's not necessarily the way that I'm built, but it does serve a purpose. And if you can choose to do it consciously, it will help enormously. I guess the third thing that I had to learn quite quickly when faced with this situation is, you know, you've got your husband in hospital at a point he was 250 miles away in the wrong type of hospital. He then moved to one closer to home, which was not without its challenges and needed lots of pushing to make that happen. We were then in a kind of frying pan into fire scenario in that the new hospital didn't know what he needed and how to look after him. And we were moving house. So here I am with a backdrop of we need to move house. We're going to be moving 300 miles and relocating and resetting up the business. And Martin's going to start a new job. And are they going to even have him? And he hasn't got any income because he was just about to start the new job. And there was just so many bits to this. And of course, as a woman that likes to keep it all together, it was really hard to sort of sit and realize that with all of these rarities that were happening, I couldn't possibly keep everything together. And so what I had to do was a really conscious decision here about shuffling the priorities. So 
work had to stop for me. I recognized very early that my ability to serve clients, my ability to be there in the moment with my clients was not going to be able to happen well. I had to recognize that, you know, eating well and exercising four times a week and, you know, doing my hair and putting makeup on and doing my nails and all of the things that are usually kind of hygiene factors for me in terms of wellness, I had to deprioritize those. They were less important when I looked at all of the different things that were on my plate. Now, many would disagree with me here, and many would say that actually you've got to keep all your self-worth stuff going. You've got to keep being kind to yourself. You've got to prioritize you. But equally, we only have 24 hours in a day. And I was awake for many of them. I had two children to support. I was moving house. Some people might have chosen to put the house move on hold and prioritize their wellness. I didn't. And it was a very conscious decision not to, because the way that I saw it, I knew that those things I could pick up again. And I'd sort of said to myself, I'll only let this go on for three months before I revisit the prioritization. But at the moment, the key thing had to be getting my husband the care that he needed, making sure that my kids were fine, and making sure that this move happened because I knew that this move was fundamental to our future, whatever that future was going to be. Everything else could wait. And so being able to let go of all of the things that make life what it needs to be was a huge step for me. And it just took away some of the pressure, some of the pressure to be perfect and have everything how it should be and recognize that I'm not superwoman and to focus on the few things that were going to make the biggest difference. Now, the reality of those decisions meant that at a point in time, you know, and it was probably June when this happened, it was probably September, October time, when I realized that putting the kind of the self-care bits on hold had taken its toll. You know, so I was exhausted. I was mentally fatigued. My responses and reactions to things were less than helpful. I'd become quite negative and was seeing the world with a negative slant. You know, my hair wasn't in great nick and from a, a kind of fitness perspective that had deteriorated, I'd put weight on. So there were lots of aspects of those decisions that hadn't necessarily served me. But when I look back, I know that if I tried to maintain all of those things, I probably would have gone mad because there just wasn't the capacity. And the reality is I've been able to pick those things up again subsequently and get them all back on track. So the recovery from that didn't have as much personal cost as trying to shoehorn everything in with so many rarities in play. And I think there's a big lesson in that in terms of the expectations that seem to be on our shoulders from all of the things that we should do now in order to stay well. And the reality of how doable all of those things are when you're in this element, this essence of needing to stay strong. When you're needing to stay strong and you don't have a choice 
there's only a few things that matter. And that is about getting up in the morning with that determination to be able to get through and going to bed at night, knowing that you've done your best and everything else can wait because in the end, what you weigh and whether you've put deep conditioner on your hair and whether you've got makeup on today really doesn't matter and it can all be recovered. So to stay strong, focus on the few and choose that path of least resistance that gets you doing the really important things. So that was a conscious effort. And when I look back now at some of the videos that I made during that time, which plays into another point later on, I look at myself and go, my God, you know, you are exhausted. I can see it. You know, your hair is it's natural frizzy mess and you don't have makeup on, but there's a beauty in there. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way, you know, God, you look gorgeous. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that rare ability to just be your absolute most vulnerable self and show that. And there's a real beauty in that, that I'd never appreciated in myself before. So being able to let go of some of those things and be that rawest version of me has taught me a lot actually about strength and about what strength is really about. And I guess it leads on to the fourth one for me, which I kind of learned by proxy in those very weakest moments. So you know, I said at the beginning that it was about reminding myself constantly that I can do this. But there were moments on this journey, several of them, where that was tested to the limits. And there were points where I felt I just didn't have anywhere to go. You know, when you feel like you've hit the wall and you're stuck. And I mean, this is relevant in just general life. And I just remember the lowest points where, you know, the tears would come. I would go almost into either victim or little girl and just feel like I wanted to kind of shut it all away and pretend it wasn't happening. But in those moments, there was something that was driving me to find a way. And what I realized from having a few of those moments is I did find a way and that gave me strength in the next one to find a way again and to believe that there would be. So this is about believing that no matter how big the wall is that you come up against, there will be a way. And I remember even in the early days, this must have been like day four when Mr. Cox was moved from A&E recess into a ward and completely the wrong ward to be on. He wasn't in a brain ward or even a stroke ward. He was moved into an orthopedic ward because he had a fractured skull. And I remember ringing up in the morning and them saying he's been moved into this ward. And then about 20 minutes later, I got on a phone call to say he can come home. And the elation I felt was enormous. And I was like, oh my God, you know, there must have been like some miraculous recovery. And I remember running into his mom's room because we were staying with them and giving her this massive hug and saying, he can come home. 
And then I rang his sister, who happens to be an OT. And I remember her saying, no, Angela, no. Did you ask this? Did you ask that? You know, can he walk? Because he couldn't walk yesterday. And can he talk? She went, I I really don't think he can come home. And I remember that feeling of elation just starting to wane. And I remember also feeling that I wanted to kill her. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're bursting my bubble. That was like the, the internal thing. And of course, she was right. I didn't want her to be right because I wanted it to all be okay. But I remember going to the hospital with her in my head and and thinking, right, I need to test that he is okay. And I asked to see the consultant who'd made the decision. And what I realized in that moment, talking to him in the room as I did, is that he believed that the answer was, because we don't know what to do with brain injury, you can take him home and go and see your GP. And I knew that that was not the answer. But I'm there with this man who's a consultant, you know, in many years experience, and they come with their ego. And I felt like maybe I didn't have the right to question, but I knew that I had to. And so I found this courage to stand up to him in a really kind of calm way, but say, no, the answer isn't that I put him in a car and drive him 250 miles home. And how can you know that that's safe for me to do? You prove to me that that's safe and then I might consider it. And of course he couldn't prove that. And it made him question, I think, his decision because the outcome was he didn't leave that day and nor should he because he couldn't walk. And then we hit another roadblock and when we hit another roadblock and each time I was hitting these roadblocks where I felt vulnerable, I felt like I didn't know the answer. Somewhere I found the courage and the fight to take action. And my actions were often extreme. You know, I mean, I literally contacted the CEO of the hospital on LinkedIn because there was no other way I could find to get him and, you know, to hold him to account, to get the right people to to come and see Martin. I would phone around the hospitals and ask to speak to bed managers myself to find out if they had beds because the process kept falling through and mistakes kept happening. So I was taking it into my own hands. Now, how does an individual who doesn't work in a hospital environment get through to these people, I do not know, but I would get through and I would have these conversations. And and basically I engineered the move. I engineered the steps that needed to be taken to keep getting Martin closer to the care that he needed. But that took extreme effort. And it took in those moments where I thought there wasn't a way, it took that courage to stand up and come back to point one, I can do this and know that there must be another way. And I didn't always get it right. You know, the ways that I chose weren't always the right ways, but they moved us forward. They might not have moved us a giant leap and they might have meant that we took a sidestep, but we were making positive progress. And that was important to me. I couldn't bear this feeling of 
stuck. We're stuck and no one can tell me what is wrong or how he's going to improve. And that wasn't because the answers weren't there. It was because he was in the wrong place and the people in the place couldn't tell the answers because they didn't have the experience. And that for me was the most frustrating part of this entire journey. That had he been in the right place, it would have been so different. And so this desire to know that there is a way and to keep pushing for it became stronger than ever. And actually was one of the anchor points for me for staying strong. It almost became like that I am going to find the way and I'm the only one that can. And I actually felt like I was the only one that could because there wasn't really anybody else there to make it happen. So believe in when you hit a wall in any area of your life, and we hit them all the time when we're pushing our comfort zone, believe that there will be a way around it. We've got a podcast coming up shortly with Charlie Wagstaff from Critical Eye. And one of the things he was talking about was the water that flows down the river and, you know, it hits a a rock in the river and it finds a way around it. There is always a way. And that's point number four in how to stay strong. Now, point number five, it it kind of contends a little bit with point two, which was that focusing on the moment, because it's actually about visualizing an outcome. Now, you know, we can, if we're not careful and focusing in the moment, visualize outcomes that are not helpful, like the catastrophizing. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a vision as to where this is going to be, where this is going to end, that is optimistic and positive and will help you to stay strong. So for me, back in sort of June, July time, when we were in the most acute stage, I would visualize us as a family on Christmas Day in our new home together and Martin would be well. Now, the reality is, We've just had Christmas (laughs) and we were together in our new home as a family. And Martin on the whole is well. He's back at work or in his new job. It's still not perfect. It's not where it would have been had this accident not have happened or this seizure or whatever we we think it was. We're still not 100% sure. But we made it to the visualization that I created in those early weeks, this absolute non-negotiable visualization that it would be okay. And there was only one point where that ever waned for me. And that was the point when we got mistakenly told that he had terminal cancer. And that was a period of time that lasted for four days and became, as we know, a mistaken diagnosis, thank God. So my visualization was questioned there. But for the most part, I stayed true to that and absolutely dogged about it, actually, which I think was part of the way that I stayed strong because I knew that it would be okay. I knew that despite what we were facing, despite the gibberish he was talking, despite the fact that there were all these deficits, I knew it would be okay. And I really stayed anchored to that in the moments when it was tough. And of course, 
we're there. And as I say, it's not perfect and there are deficits and there's still challenges in how Martin sees himself. There are challenges in our relationship in terms of how we are together versus what we used to be. But there are so many upsides too that have come from the journey that we've been on. And we try and ground ourselves in those moments of gratitude, particularly from a backdrop of he might not have been here if it had have been the cancer. So the visualization is critical. And again, that's so applicable to all aspects of our lives in terms of when you're feeling low, when you're feeling at your weakest and you're needing to keep going, focus on where you might be in three months, in six months, in nine months, in 12 months, and anchor to that. And that is applicable even when there is something that is terminal because there are always going to be points that you need to think about beyond that. You know, so if Martin had a had cancer and he might not be with us by Christmas. I'm still here with my children. And so being able to visualize what that is going to be like and my strength and resilience wrapped around that was key. And my visualization changed in those moments where I thought he wouldn't be here. And that's what I was starting to see is not me broken, lost, you know, unable to cope which I'm sure would have been a reality at moments. But me, strong, there for my children, building a life that had Martin at the foundations, despite the fact that he might not be there anymore. So there is always a way we can visualize an outcome. And I truly believe it keeps us moving forward and determined to overcome anything that gets in our way. So it links back to point four. Now, as we go on this journey of staying strong, the biggest learning for me comes from point six, which is about asking and accepting help and support. As a bit of a lone wolf and someone who generally only relies on herself, that's probably a lie. I rely on Mr. Cox a lot. But outside of that, there are very few people in this world that I rely on. And very few people in this world that I go to for help. My best friend is one of the people that hears me the most when I let her. Don't let her very often. (laughs) But she is one of the people in this world who never puts her stuff on me. She always wants to know what's going on. A lot of other people in this world, I am their person. She's probably one of the only ones. I don't give her that opportunity very often, but when I do, I always feel the value of it. Mr. Cox is another one. So I have these couple of people, and Sally, my therapist. But other than that, I ask very rarely for help and support. I have lots of friends, lots of great connections. I've got Kath who works with me, lots of people who are there, but I very rarely ask. And what I realized through this journey is when you're in this moment of needing to focus on the few, prioritize, be strong, you know, be able to get over barriers, you can't keep all of the balls in the air. And so asking for help is critical. Now, I wasn't very good at that. But what I noticed was there was lots of offers of help. And I realized I was able to accept help 
when it was clearly defined. So I was rubbish when people said, I'd really love to help. What do you need? I was like, no capacity to think about what I need. No idea. Therefore, I didn't ask for it or accept it. But when people were very specific around, I want to help you and I want to do this. That is much easier for me to go, oh my God, that would be amazing. And there were so many people like that, way too many to mention. And if I did try and mention them, I'd miss somebody out because there was that many. But there were people who did that in a certain way that said, on this day, I'm going to do this for you, or I'm going to offer that, or this is what I think you might need and therefore I'm doing it. Or they would send something like food in the post or whatever. There was so much of that. And what I realized as that was happening is just how much easier that made the situation. You know, I'm packing boxes, trying to move house, trying to sort out all the admin crap, trying to get to the hospital, trying to keep myself together, trying to get the kids to school, trying to answer the million emails every day about how is he, trying to stay strong. And so the practical help that people offered in this very specific way made life easier and helped me to stay strong. And if there is one thing that has been the biggest lesson for me through this, it is that accepting help really does contribute to the staying strong. And it was for me one of the most, I hate this word because people throw this word out all the time, but it was one of the most humbling things around you can't always do it all yourself. And you can allow yourself, Angela Cox, to trust that people will do stuff and you don't have to do things back. Because that's always been my big fear is, am I going to have the capacity to repay this? And, you know, the more people do, the more you feel that need to repay. And there was part of me going, my God, you know, he's going to drive a van all day long to help me move house. How am I going to repay that? What am I going to do? And actually the ability to just recognize that people are doing that because they genuinely want to help and they're not expecting something in return means that I don't have to feel indebted. And I can trust that that is their intention. And oh God, the ability to stay strong as a result of that was enormous. So asking for if you're good at that or accepting help and support is a huge part of this because for everything that you allow to come in and be done for you, the more you then have the capacity and the strength to point yourself to those things that are the main priorities. I mean, it's just an equation, isn't it? You know, someone puts something in for you. It means that it's something you don't have to do and you get something back on the other side to point towards what you need to do. It's key and it's amazing. And for me, genuinely beautiful. And it makes me think really carefully now about how I can help other people. So that's a biggie at number six. And then at number seven, now here's a contentious one. And there'll be so many people don't agree with this one. And frankly, I don't care. 
because this is my way and it is the most helpful way for me to stay strong. And there'll be people out there that need this too. So for me, and these moments where strength is a must, not a nice to have, the ability to shut down is critical. Now, what do I actually mean by that? I cannot tell you how many people were reaching out to me, wanting to support rather than help. So what I mean by that is support in that emotional way, be there to listen, be there to hear me. But there's this thing about humans, okay, that it's always really tricky for people to just hear unless you're trained to just hear. So often in a scenario where you open yourself up to start to talk about what's going on for you, often in those scenarios, and and it might just be for my personality type, it ends up going the other way and you end up hearing what's on the other person's plate. Because that's just general, isn't it? You know, in a normal conversation. So someone wants to hear what's going on for you, to support you. But in doing so, they put their crap on your shoulders as well. And I mean that in the nicest way. And so if I was to open myself up to everybody that came forward, I was in danger of hearing everybody else's stuff. And and I'd kind of tested that a few times and seen that that was the case. But also what I recognized is in opening up my emotions, which were just right there under the surface, and they were all sorts of things, anger, frustration, helplessness, powerlessness, fear, dread, loads of different, really difficult emotions. Whenever I went to talk about how I was feeling, it was overwhelming and it dissipated my ability to stay strong. And so I recognized that actually keeping shut down during these acute moments was the best strategy to keep strong. Now, I knew and was very clear with myself that that was not going to become a lifetime strategy because I've been there before. You know, I was going to lean into this stuff at a point in time and have started to do that. And interestingly, the wheel started to fall off when I do do that because it's tough stuff, man. (laughs) Um, I didn't have the capacity to be able to do that during. And so the way I cope with that, and I feel it's a really good strategy, is to shut it down. Now, that means. I don't talk to anyone about any of it. So this drove my best friend mad. To be fair, she is the one person I could have rang up and talked to without getting the other side of the story. But I drove her mad because I just wouldn't respond to her calls. And I kept saying to her, I'm not responding on purpose by a text message. And she knows that that is how I am. But I just didn't have the ability to have that two-sided conversation. So I kept it all in. and. I processed it in the moments by recording. So I'd record voice notes to myself of how I was feeling. I'd go on Instagram and do lives. I love those because no one talks back at you. They might type comments in, but I didn't read those. I was just getting it out, but in a one-way way. way. (laughs) 
that really helped me to kind of talk about how I was feeling without having to hear that, oh my God, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Because as soon as somebody says that to you, when you've got emotion bubbling right there, you have lost it. And it doesn't help in my view. So what's happened is with passage of time, all of that immediate emotion has dissipated, which is great because I didn't need to feel that. It's never helpful. You know, it is just stress. So all of that has dissipated and I've not had to put myself through feeling that. I've just kept it quelled. And now I'm able to start to process what's left behind, which is the toughest elements of how this whole situation has made me feel and what have been the contributors to that and how do I deal with it? And so now I'm leaning into that and I don't feel strong at the moment. You know, the last month or so has been really tough when I'm looking at what's left behind. There's so many people think Martin's back to normal. You know, no one checks in anymore, really. No one asks how he is because he's back at work now, isn't he? So everything must be fine. The reality is it's not fine. The reality is our relationship is in a very different place to what it was before. And in a lot of ways, it's stronger, but in a lot of ways, it's not. And so for me now, it's about really leaning in and feeling what's left and starting to process that. And I feel like I'm kind of, I'm weaker now. And I'm in that that time of processing, but I'm ready to do that because I've got all my self-care back on track. And now I'm leaning in to the tough stuff. <laughs> and I know that, you know, in another three or four months, that will feel better again. But during the time when I had to keep that strength, no matter what, I had to shut down. It was imperative. And that's what I did. So. The next one is about being true to me. Authenticity is something that is incredibly important to me. And it's a value that I feel like I eroded for much of my career in corporate and in consulting, trying to be what everybody else needed me to be, trying to fit a mold, trying to hide my vulnerabilities, trying to hide my empathic side feeling that that wasn't good enough in that environment. And when I came out and set up as a coach, I said to myself, I'm going to live every day as authentically as I can. And I'm going to call myself out whenever I erode that. Now, part of authenticity is about being true to yourself and being honest with those around you. Now, when you're in a position where the person you love most in the world besides your kids, is in an acute situation. Lots and lots and lots of people have opinions about it. And I understand that. And normally in those situations, I would kind of be influenced and try and people please and try and do the right thing by everyone. But in this instance, I knew my authenticity and what I felt had to be voiced. And I found my strength around that and was very, very clear about how this was going to be with doctors, with family members, with friends. I had people saying, don't move, you know, you shouldn't move. It's too much. And I was like, no, I am moving. It's part of the visualization. It'll keep us on track with our life plan. 
I'm doing it. I don't care what anybody thinks. So I wouldn't be influenced, you know, putting pressure on Martin to return to work. I put the pressure on, you know, I remember sitting and having a conversation with him to say, do not under any circumstances allow your brain to go to a place that says you won't be able to work again because I know that you will. And you need to be able to do that to feel good about yourself. So our vision is you're going to get well again. And being able to show that authentic side of me, speak up for what I truly believed was right for us as a family without having to please everyone else was key. It was difficult. It was challenging because when you're faced with a position of not feeling your strongest, it's easy to be influenced. But I remain true to it. And as a result of that, I feel like we've got the best outcome for us as a family. And, you know, we really are moving towards this life that we wanted to create for ourselves. So I think that's key in that element of feeling strong. You don't want to do anything that is going to erode that true version of you. And every time you attempt to people, please, you shut up when you should be speaking up. You say yes when you should be saying no. Every time you do that, you erode a sense of you and that erodes your strength. So to stay strong, you need to be true. So that was a big one for me. And when I reflect back, I know that I did that throughout and that didn't always serve other people, but I knew that it had to be about me and my family. And that's what it became about. And my God, am I glad that we moved because this new life that we're living is so different, but so wonderful compared to the isolated life that we had before. It's just immense. And seeing the joy in the kids and their independence and how they're flourishing as a result is just lovely. And I guess that leads on to number nine, which is No matter how crappy things get, no matter how tough, no matter how many barriers we face, no matter how much strength we have to muster, what I know to be true based on my whole life experience is it passes. You know, I've had so many of those moments in my life where you think, God, this is the end of the world. And I've been in tears and wanting to shut the world out and, you know, felt those horrible feelings. But, you know, six months later, you can't even really remember it as a thing. And even now, (laughs) when I think about our conversation at home, when Martin first came home and started rehab, our whole conversation would be about the hospital and all the failures and all the things that went wrong and Then it would be about rehab and progress and not progress and, you know, falling over and not being able to see properly and he's not feeling his cheek. And our whole reality would be about what was going on and how rubbish it all was. Now, you know, we're six months on and we don't talk about it hardly ever. (laughs) It's still there and there are still elements that aren't where we want them to be fully and there are challenges and you know he's different in various places and I'm different in various places so 
it's not perfect, as I've said a few times, but we're a country mile on from where we were. And every time you look back, you can see that progress. You can see that moving away from what's happened. And so that element of knowing that it will pass and knowing that it won't be a thing in a year's time or two years time or five years time is so very true and such a lovely way to anchor your strength because you know that you don't have to maintain that strength forever. You might have to call upon it again in times in the future, but it's not going to have to be there 100% of your time, 100% of your life. You know, there are times when it'll dissipate and, you know, when it's in that dissipation stage, that's where it's just bubbling away and building and building and building the reserves ready for you to use it again. So that essence of knowing it's not going to be here forever is key to that feeling of, well, I can carry on doing this then. You know, it links us back to number one. And then I guess there's the rebuild. So that's my number 10. I guess it plays into some of those focusing on the priorities, not trying to do everything, doing that shutdown phase, because there will be a point when it's passed where you can start to rebuild. And the rebuild has to be an important part of the formula because that strength, you know, does run out. You can't keep going like that forever. And it has to be able to rebuild. Just like when we're on a treadmill, you know, you can't run forever. You've got to get off and and rest. And so the rebuild has to be something that you determine. What are the steps to rebuilding? What are the things that you've put down that you now need to pick up? Which order are you going to do those things in? Which are going to have the biggest impact? So I very much focused on doing that rebuild and committing to that. And as a result, I'm feeling much better about me, much better about us. And now in this position where I can actually lean into some of the tough stuff without the wheels falling off fully. So to stay strong, there's a strategy and it's an individual strategy and it's not going to work for everyone. But it's around being able to walk through these 10 different steps and bring them all in at different parts. Some of them are mindset things, some of them are practical things, but they are things that preserve the strength, preserve the energy by pointing it on the things that matter in that moment and knowing that it's not going to last forever. And so for me, that's the strategy. That's what got me through. And now when I get the text messages from people that says, I can't believe what you've achieved. I admire your resilience. I still look back and think, oh my God, if you'd have seen me, you know, on the bedroom floor in a heap, you wouldn't really be thinking that. But ultimately, people don't see those moments, do they? They see the journey that you've come through, they see the outcome, and they see how you navigated it and take the good from that as opposed to those really tough, horrible moments. And so it's nice to hear that it's inspired people. And it's nice to hear that people see that strength. It's certainly something that looking back, I hope I'll feel proud of at some point. I think I'm still in it at the moment and not fully appreciating it, but I've been able to dissect it. And that's a a good step forward. 
So that's my start to 2022, which for the Cox family is going to be an amazing year. I have no doubt. We've had our tough time. We're now facing into a time that is going to be a little bit better. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. And I hope you've been able to take something from it, even if you don't need to be strong just now, because it is applicable to lots of different elements. Join me again for the next episode. I've got loads of great people coming up for you this year, and I really do appreciate each and every listen. Let me know what you think of this one. Please do leave a review. We've not had reviews for ages. They really do matter. So I'd love it if you would. And God bless. And I will speak to you again. And so just like that, we're at the end of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time listening today. And a big thank you from me for taking the time. I'd really love it if you would be able to leave a review because it really does help us to get noticed. And if you haven't already, why not subscribe and then you never miss an episode. I wish you a lovely rest of the day, whatever it is that you're doing. And I hope that you stay safe and well.